So if you turn with me, I do want to actually piggyback a little bit off of what Ronnie was saying this morning. I taught a message a few weeks ago. Um, what was I? I was at the BSU actually t- talking about the Great Commission. I'm going to give you a little piece here, and then we're going to get into my message. Great Commission can be found in various places, but let's go to Matthew. That's the most well-known. very end of Matthew. 28. I'll give you a little Greek word that brings some meaning out to that. I say it this way. You know, a lot of times we say that we have a call. And sometimes I think we make too much of that in Baptist circles. Um, because we can hide behind that then. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm not called to do that. But we need to distinguish the difference between a calling and a commission. A calling typically means that's what I sense the Lord drawing me toward or pressing me toward, right? Some act of service. But the Great Commission is not a call. It's a commission. And we are, that means we're, each one of us is given to that work. We can't escape it. Um, if you go to verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. If you underline that, make disciples. If, you're a, if you mark in your Bible, you can do that. But that's actually the Greek word, methetuo. That same word can be used to conscript someone into military service. Get them to enlist. You could say it that way. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That does not mean that we just give the gospel. We do give the gospel. But there's much more to making disciples than just giving them the gospel and seeing them regenerate. And I think a lot of times in, in um, especially Baptistic circles, we make a, a big deal about someone making a decision. That's always the terminology. And yet we forget that's the beginning. That's not the ending. That's the beginning. We are to go and make disciples. And like, like Ronnie said this morning, either we're senders or we're goers, but we should find ourselves in that equation. That is not for those who feel like they've been called. That's a commission. You don't need a calling if you have a commission. A commission is explicit orders to go. It's marching orders, if you will, right? The, you know, the army doesn't tell you, we want you to be in the, you know, 81st Airborne, and you go, man, I just don't feel like that today. We don't care what you feel like, right? This is what you're commanded to do, so you go do it. You're going to go be a soldier, and you're going to be that soldier on days you feel like it, and you're going to be that soldier on days you don't feel like it, aren't you? And the same can be said of the Great Commission. We're given that. We're commissioned. We are commanded. We're not called to the Great Commission. We're commanded to go. So I was very, I was glad that he brought that out. All right, go with me. Let's get into the text of what I came here to preach. Making our way through Ephesians here. By the way, those of you that were here for my 40th birthday, the big bash that my wife and mom put on, thank you so much for being there. Those of you who were not, you're dead to me. No, that's <laughs> not true. That's <laughs> not true. Uh it was a lot of fun, though. A lot of fun to see some. Got to see Paul and Charlotte Priest, and it's been a while. There's some good friends that were there that I haven't got to see nearly enough, and haven't got to see for a while, and it was a lot of fun. So, <clears throat> Wednesday, I went started at verse one of chapter four, and I tried to get up through seventeen, 
And uh, today I'm going to do this. I'm going to start back here at verse 7. I'm going to give you a little bit of review, and then we're going to go on a little ways into this same verse. We're going to try to get through all the way through 24 if we can, hopefully. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you for your word. We know it's your word that shows us light and truth. Father, I ask you would take me out of the way so that you could exposit and expound your word to your people through your spirit. Father, let the truth of your word stand. Let everything that's said and done honor and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. Here's what we said, kind of a recap. We started at chapter 4, verse 1. We said Ephesians is basically broken up into two parts. When we're reading through the book of Ephesians, sometimes Ephesians is called the Little Romans. If you want to find the book of the New Testament that is the greatest exposition of biblical doctrine, it is without question Romans. And part of that is because of how large Romans is. Romans is a large book. And because of that, there's, there's, Paul takes great care throughout Romans to expound on a lot of different doctrine that was very important for people to know. Well, Ephesians is kind of like that, only it's condensed Okay, and it's set up kind of the same way. The first three chapters, roughly, is orthodoxy, and the last three chapters is orthopraxy. And we asked what those words were Wednesday, right? Orthodox, dox, from, from which we get doctrine. Ortho meaning right, so this is right beliefs. Okay, the first three chapters are roughly, hey, this is how, as Christians, you should believe. Orthopraxy, or practice, right practice, the last three chapters is basically Paul saying, now that you believe what's correct, this is how that should translate into how you live. The orthodoxy that you know should translate into how you live your life. In fact, I would say that's a huge problem among the young restless reformed right now, the reformed community. There's a lot of people that know a lot, orthodoxy, and yet a lot of times we don't see this translate into how they live their lives. And what does that do to the people that we speak the gospel to? Well, it cheapens it to them. You're going to tell me about that, but you, you don't even live it out. Right, which is what, remember, that's what Paul uh, opposed Peter over. You know it's bad when it's two apostles. The apostle Paul is telling Peter, hey, man, uh, you're not living right. You said this, but then you, you do this. You said, hey, we're all one in Christ, but now you're not even eating with the Gentiles. You're being a hypocrite. So that is basically what Paul is now addressing in Ephesians. He's saying, this is what you know. This is what you believe. This is the right thing to believe. It's good to believe the right things, obviously. We want to believe what's right, correct? Yes. Yes, we want to have orthodoxy. We want to have right belief. But we also want that to translate into orthopraxy, right living. We want that to be walked out, right? Okay, I know this about Christ. I know this about the gospel. Therefore, this should change my life. Right? I have good news and bad news for you. The bad news is this. You're never going to get to the place where you're perfect. It's not going to happen. You're always going to have a place you can improve because you have a sin nature. Jesus did not. You will never be perfectly like Jesus in this life. However, the goal is to be more and more like him, right? Being changed from faith to faith. Correct? Okay. So here's how this should translate. Let's get to here. So... Chapter 4, verse 1 says, This I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. How do we walk worthy? Paul's going to go on and explain that basically for the next three chapters. What does that mean to walk worthy? How can I 
Paul Wilson, walk worthy of this calling? How can I walk worthy of what Christ has done for me? The first thing out of the box, with lowliness. Lowliness, humility. I have news. Humility is not just a good character trait to have. It is the beginning of having a Christian life. Period. How do I begin to walk worthy? With humility. I do it with lowliness. It's strange that of all the different character traits that Paul could have chosen, he chooses humility as the first one out of the gate. He could have chosen, well, you should be very intelligent. You should be well-learned, well-spoken. You should have good manners. You should be dignified. You should, there's a lot of character traits he could have chosen. Instead, he chose humility. Walk with lowliness. Be humble. Quit thinking that you know it all. I have news for you. Knowing it all is endemic to humans. It does not matter whether you're the smartest kid in the class or the dumbest kid in the class. Every kid knows they know it all. And we are very much prone to that same kind of mannerism. Who are you? What do you know? Well, believe it or not, they may actually know more than you on said subject. Maybe you should listen. With lowliness and gentleness, we could say this, respect. It's incredible because that's endemic to us as well. We want everybody to respect us, but I can be snarky to them. I can tell them what a fool they are. Oh, but, but that's respectful? But that's with gentleness? It's strange because our flesh nature craves that double standard. I want everybody to respect me. I want them to talk to me with, you know, awe and reverence. But I'm going to shoot back at them as if they're a three-year-old child. And Paul says, you don't have a clue. With gentleness and with lowliness. And what's the next one? With long-suffering. Patience. Patience. Bearing with one another in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's true. There are brothers and sisters, depending on what kind of personalities we have, there are brothers and sisters that we enjoy being around more, typically because our personalities match up better, fit better. I enjoy talking about the Lord and, and the Word with Ronnie a lot. And part of that is because Ronnie's very forward. He's, he's pretty blunt. I like that. I'm that same way. Uh, Ronnie doesn't have a problem with um, debating. I, I learn that way. So when I was struggling through the doctrines of grace, you know what I did? And I'm in Texas at the time. I was pastoring in Texas. I would call Ronnie, and we would debate or talk for you know an hour or two on the phone. And I'd say, okay, this weekend I'm going to come up there. And he's like, you better have all your ducks in a row. I'm like, hey, pal, you better get all your ammo. Because this weekend I'm coming up there, and we're talking about X. You know, one weekend it would be whatever, limited atonement. The next weekend it might be, or two weekends or three weekends later, it might be uh, uh, perseverance of the saints. But that's how I learn. And so I enjoy that. Now, some people, if they're very passive, they don't, they don't. I'm too blunt for them, or Ronnie's too blunt for them, or other people are, and that's okay. There are some people you're going to enjoy being around more than others. So what do you do with people that are truly your brothers? And I'm not talking about people who are contentious and are not your brother. I'm not talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. But what do you do with those who really are your brother, but they drive you crazy? Do you have people like that? 
Don't tell me you don't. You're a liar if you do. Of course there are, yeah. Do you know, do you know a Christian that's like that? Do you have somebody that you work with? Listen, I teach high school. Do you think I ever have a Christian kid in my class that drives me nuts? Sure. Jonathan's like, not me, man. It wasn't me. <laughs> and you know what? If you ask those kids, I'd probably be the same way, huh? I got this Christian teacher that he drives me crazy. Why is that? Well, maybe our personalities are different, or maybe we see things differently. Maybe we approach problems differently. So what is the solution to that? Well, the solution is we want to have fellowship. We are commanded to have fellowship in the body. And that means this. That means some people I really enjoy being around, and some people I tolerate. (laughs) And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to learn more and more how to be more and more graceful toward people like that. Why? I have news. Because Jesus is that way toward you. Are there things that I do that the scripture says God hates? If you could see my thought life on a movie rerun, do you think there would ever come up parts of that movie that are detestable to God? I guarantee you there are. Yes. Does God therefore decide to kick me to the curb? Does he throw me away? Or does he bear with me still? He bears with me in love. In the same manner, I should as well. Yeah. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So he's really pressing the, the issue of unity, right? We're, we're in this thing together. This is, this is what I love about Paul, the transition. There's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and in you all. Here's the push for unity. You must know you're in this together in the very next verse. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That could also be translated uh, as, on the other hand, each of us, grace was given according to Christ's gift. In other words, here's what he's saying. You're all in this together. You are one. And yet God has given each of us different gifts. Why? So that we would have to rely on one another. I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is no matter where you are or how alone you are, you have Christ with you. Hallelujah. The bad news is you really do need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't realize how much you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You do. And they need you. See, we have this American mindset. It is the I will do it on my own. I can pick myself up by my own bootstraps, get out of my way. If I have the determination and the guts and the courage and the work ethic, I can do anything I set my mind to. I have bad news for you. Your Christian walk is not one of them. Christ has designed you to operate within the confines of the church. And when I say the confines of the church, I'm not talking about the walls of this building. I'm talking about being in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. They grow through you and you grow through them. You are not Jesus Jr. Here's what I mean by that. God has not given you every gift. He has not sent you by yourself to the nations. You are not Jesus Jr. He has set you in a body of believers because... You need them, and they need you. 
And when you get the idea that you're going to be the lone wolf ranger, the lone Christian out there, oh, I'll do my own thing. I don't need them. If they like it, fine. If not, that's fine. Hey, if they like what I'm doing, they can get on board with. And if not, I don't care. I'm sorry. You're in sin. Why? Because you don't care about the body. That is Christ's body. That is Christ's bride. If Christ thinks that body of people is worthy of his blood, it's worthy of his blood. And it's worthy of our sacrifice. And it's worthy of our toleration of each other. And it's worthy of the, little, of the dirt that it takes. You know what? Real life is dirty. It's not a, prick, a, a perfect, pristine picture. Child rearing certainly is not. Okay. You have these ideas like you get married, we're going to have these kids. You got this idea of what, uh, you know, every night family devotionals is going to be right, like, right? In your mind, oh, we're all singing kumbaya. <laughs> kids are just answering all the catechism questions. Is little Jesus Jr. You know what it is some nights? Tell him not to wipe a booger on me. Had he stuck me in the eye, right? It's that kind of stuff. Why? Because real life is that way. And it's that way between us, which is why it takes forgiveness for us to be in a body. You know what happens when people don't have the spirit of Christ? They cannot love others. They cannot tolerate someone of a different opinion. And they cannot forgive so what happens? I go to this church. I'm here for three months. I get mad. Somebody puts my nose out of joint. I go, fine. Take your ball and go home. And I go down the next road. And I'm there for three months. And I get mad. And I go down the next one. I'm there for three months. And I get... Have you ever seen that? We used to call it that. I'm from western Kansas. We have tumbleweeds in western Kansas, okay? You know, the big, you go out there in the windstorm. The thing hits your side of your car. And it almost causes you to wreck. Cause it's big. That's, some Christians are that way. The tumbleweed Christian. I kind of tumble here. I tumble there. I tumble wherever I can find my spotlight. And if people don't like me the way I think they should, and if people don't respect me the way I think they should, and if people don't give me that austerity, that, that big air that I think they should, I'm out. Okay? It's fine. It's just not Christ's way. To each of us, gifts were given. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he... Christ ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. He's actually quoting Psalm 8, uh, 68 here, which is interesting because Psalm 68 was actually about Israel taking Jerusalem, which was Jebusite at the time. So he's saying um, that this is basically the conquest, this is a picture of the conquest of Christ. Jerusalem being conquered by God's people is what's being quoted, which makes sense. Paul's writing to the Ephesians. There's a large group of Jewish believers in Ephesus. Not everybody in that church was of a Jewish background, but there was a large contingent. So he knows when he quotes this, they'll know what he's talking about. Okay, so what's the reference? Here's the reference. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay, let me give you the very poor interpretation that this verse is always somehow leveraged to mean. It's not always, in many circles. This verse will be quoted, and then we'll say, well, what that means is, you know, after Jesus died, he went to hell, and he was there, and he preached there for a while, and then he came back. And That's not what that verse is saying. That verse is saying, Jesus descended from on high. He came to the earth. 
What happened? Well, after he came to the earth, just like Jerusalem was conquered and then the spoils were given to those who were there, the same way Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus came to the earth. News. He won. He conquered. He is victorious. And because of that, what does he now do? Well, he starts giving spoils. What are the spoils that he gives? He gives gifts to his people. Why? For the building up, the edifying of the church. Which is exactly what he says. Verse 11. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Who is it that chooses those roles? Jesus. Jesus does. Which means maybe we should have a little bit more respect for the choosing that he does. Twelve, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So what's the job of the pastor? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Here's the problem, and I said this Wednesday, and I'll say it again because I think it bears repeating. I may have to say it every time I'm up here for the next two months. We, in, especially in Baptist circles, we think the minister's the guy that comes up here and talks on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. That's not true. That is not what the Scripture says. A pastor teacher is not the only minister in the church. You are the ministers. My job is to help equip you so that you might be able to take the gospel and spread that to the people that are in your life. There are people you interact with day by day that I never get to see, aren't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, then there are people that you should be having the conversations about the gospel with. You should be telling about Christ to them, correct? Remember, the Great Commission is not a call. You're not called to the Great Commission. You're commanded. Do you know where the Great Commission applies? Wherever you are. Well, I'm not on the mission field. I'm not in Ireland. I'm not in Africa. I just live a normal life here in America. You're on mission. Your life is on mission. Some of the best conversations, probably the vast majority, the best conversations that I've gotten to have about Christ and the gospel have been in those byways and highways, not inside the church building. I mean, I, I, I hate to use this term, but it's, it's kind of an echo chamber, right? I mean, if you're here, we basically, we believe the same stuff, basics, right? About faith, Christ, the scriptures. That's why we're here. This is the equipping center. This is college. What are you doing it for? So that you can be trained to go out there. Why did I go to college? So I could be trained to do the job I do today. What was I trained to do? I was trained to be a science teacher. I went to college to be a science teacher. Hopefully, the, you know, the theory goes, they teach me enough there that I can go into the classroom and be effective at that, right? Okay, well, what are you being trained for here? Why do you come here on Sunday? Why do you come here on Wednesday night? I hope there are multiple reasons for that. For the train, for example. Where else can you get a punctuation like that? I can't, I can't compete with this guy. It's kind of a weird view every now and again when you're up here. The conductor will look over and you see him like eye to eye. Kind of weird. Now, what are you here for, though? Why are you here? I hope you're not... Here's why you... Let me give you the wrong answer, okay? I hope you're not here simply because, well, that's what's expected. 
Well, that's what everybody does. It's Sunday. I mean, you know, if you're a good person, you go to church on Sunday. That is the wrong answer. Why are you here then? Well, it should be a few different reasons. Number one, I should be here to encourage others as well. There are other believers in the Lord. I'm going to have conversations with them before church, after church, throughout the day, hopefully throughout the week. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to lean on each other. We're going to strengthen each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's definitely one of them. Here's the other thing. To be built up. You should be here to be equipped. You should be here to fellowship with like-minded believers. But you should also be here to be equipped. What's that mean? That means I can be more effective at taking the gospel and utilizing that. I can be more effective on mission for Christ wherever it is I work, wherever it is I live. Amongst the people that I bump into at Walmart. Amongst the people that I bump into in my day-to-day routine. Right? I should be becoming more and more effective with that. When I say effective, I don't mean you have more people that, you know, oh, last year you know, I led one person to Christ and this year 15 people. That's not what I'm talking about. Effective meaning you are effectively communicating the gospel to those that you work and live around. Now, what Christ does with that is his job. I hope he'll save, you know, 20 of your friends this year through your witness. But if he doesn't, he's, that's not what he's judging you on. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, I'm not called to, to see gazillions of people saved underneath my preaching. What I'm called to do is be faithful. Be faithful to take the gospel to those people whom God crosses my path with. Why else are you here? Well, hopefully you're here to extol and worship the Lord with like-minded believers. Those are good answers. Why did he give some to be pastors and teachers? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You are being equipped. You are a minister. You're being equipped for the ministry. You're not coming here just to sit and listen to some guy talk for a while. What for and why would you be equipped for the work of the ministry? Very next phrase, for the edifying that is building up of the body of Christ. What is your job as a minister? To build up the body of Christ. How do you build up the body of Christ? Number one, you add to it numerically. It's like adding bricks on a building. Makes the building larger, right? We want the body to be larger numerically next year. And I don't mean just our congregation. I mean the body of Christ. We want the gospel to spread. We want Christ to gather those that are his. But also, we have to grow. And when I say that word in English, it kind of has two connotations. I don't mean we have to grow bigger. I mean we have to grow more like Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it through our interactions with each other, number one. The edifying of the body of Christ, 13, till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are growing toward that. 14, so that, why? We are no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Children are tossed to and fro, and they're carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, man, we might have to circle that, It's real easy to speak the truth in snark or in harsh. Speaking the truth in love that we might grow up. 
in all things into him who is the head, and that is Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I think you should underline that, by what every joint supplies. What is a joint? I said this Wednesday. What is a joint of the body? A joint is where two parts come together. The joints are supplying something in this relationship. Paul is saying this. The joints, the relationships where people come together is supplying nourishment to the body. That's not how it works in a physical body, is it? In your physical body, you eat food, right? It goes through your digestive system. That supplies the nutrients for the rest of your body. Not so in the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the nutrients are supplied by the joints. That's where people come together, relationships. By what every joint supplies, where people are coming together. You know what happens when you're in the body of Christ? You form really tight bonds with people that you would not normally be bonded to, right? It should be that Christ transcends everything else. This should be a place where people come in and they go, what in the world are these people doing hanging out together? I mean, this guy over here, he's loaded. That dude is super poor. What the world are they doing together, right? That guy is as backwoods country hick as they come, and that dude's city slicker from the beginning. What are they doing hanging out? Well, there is a cause that is so much greater than all of those other personality issues that we set aside those things to focus on that cause. That cause is Christ and the gospel. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which each part does its share. Each part does its share. That is what causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What causes growth of the body? Well, it's when people come together and they nourish each other and they work hard at it. Each part does its share. Think about a body where every part didn't do its share. What would happen to you if your heart decided to take the day off today? (laughs) You're going to meet Jesus in short order, right? Yeah, or your lungs. Ah, sorry, need the day off. It's going to be a rough time. We're the same way. We're a body of believers. And there are times when each of us in this body have good times, times of abundance. Hey, I'm just in victory, right? I mean, man, in my life I'm making gains. It seems like at work I've just got open door after open door. I've got these promotions. Man, I came into some money. Everything's going my way. Do you think everything's going your way? Do you think every person in here is experiencing that thing? Heaven's sakes, no. At the same time that you're in this, if you will, season of victory in your life, I hate using that word because how it's in the connotations that come with it, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. At the same time, though, Sitting right next to you may be a brother who's struggling. He's going through a time of trial. So what's your job? My job as part of the body is to love them. What if they have physical needs? Well, then I'm going to try to meet those physical needs. Why? Because that's what causes growth of the body. Which every part does its share. That causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love, the building up of God's people in love. 
There is a place for constructive criticism. And typically that place is from an elder. Maybe I should say that again. There's a place for constructive criticism. But I think we get pretty handy with criticism a lot of times with each other when we really shouldn't. When we should be trying to build them up in love. 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened. Why do they walk the way they walk? Because the Bible says they have a futile mind and their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Because of the blindness of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, but you've not learned so in Christ. If indeed you've been taught, or you've heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct. Look at that. Put off concerning your former conduct. I've got news for you. There are habits and patterns you learned in your life before Christ, and when you got saved, did those change overnight? No. Was I snarky and sarcastic and, you know, sharp-tongued? Yes. Is that something that Christ is still working on me? I'm 40 years old now. That means I've, I've walked with the Lord for 21 years. Is that something I'm still working on today? Yes. There are parts of your conduct that you think are cute, that you think are sharp, and they make you look smart, and it's actually part of your old nature coming through. And Christ says, put it off. Put off that arrogance. Put off that smart mouth. And put on what? Put on Christ. Put on love. Put on true care for another. See, we can be pretty sharp-tongued and, and caustic toward people who don't know the Lord and the way that they act and then not show them any love. If we truly cared about them, I think our gospel presentation might have a little more impact. Maybe we should put off concerning our former conduct. I'm certain as I'm talking about that right now, the Holy Spirit's probably showing you places in your life where your conduct is a holdover from your sin nature. Can I say something? Can I be bold enough? Would you listen to the Holy Spirit? If he's pointing something out in your life, could you listen to him and say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I do need to work on that. I'm sorry. Trust me, at 40 years old, I have plenty of places to work on myself. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Why? Because you, you know Christ, right? Christ is your all in all. He's now the mission of your life. And he's now changing you. That does not mean you're perfect. And it does not mean that you're a perfect change. Right? Nobody, <laughs> there's, there's no such thing as perfect repentance. You should repent. Show me someone who has gone from unbeliever on day one to Jesus Jr. the next day. There's no such thing as perfect repentance. So why does that matter? 
Because it means two things. It means, number one, we're going to have to have a little grace with others. You know why? Because they are, we're going to have to give space for our brothers and sisters to repent. They're not going to have a perfect repentance. The change in their life is most likely going to be little by little over a long period of time. And that's frustrating to us, isn't it? Because we want them to be just like us, just as perfect as we are, right? That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? We do. We're going to have to give space to our brothers and sisters for repentance, for change. And we're going to have to have grace with them while they're doing it. We're not going to beat them over the head about it. Give space. Why? Jesus does that with you. That's why. Are you still changing? Or are you perfect? No, you're still changing too. And so am I. Twenty-three, and I'll end with this. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Change the way you think. Metanoia, which means to change the way you think. That's literally the word repent is metanoia. That's the Greek word. Gnosis, which gnoia comes from, is knowledge, basically, or, or learning. Meta means to change, right? You've heard of metamorphosis, to change form. Morph means form. So metanoia, change the way you think. May our minds be changed today. May they be changed by the gospel. I hope and I will pray that this week the Lord will soften your heart towards your own brothers and sisters in Christ. That he'll give you grace to bear with those that sometimes are a little tough to bear with. Let me tell you something. I'm sure there are times I am tough to bear with. I can guarantee you if you'd have known me at 19 or 20, you certainly would have said that. Okay? Why? Because I was sharp-tongued. I was arrogant. I'm sure you'd never see those things today. Right? Is God still working on me on that? Yeah. Is God still working on you? Yeah. Is it therefore necessary that I have grace and love toward my brothers and sisters? Yeah. Why? Because that's what causes growth in the body, for the edifying, the building itself up in love. It's not a perfect process. It's messy. It's not fun. But it's the process. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for allowing me to speak your word to your people. It is a great privilege and an honor. Father, I thank you for your word that gives us truth. Lord, enlarge our hearts that your word might have more place in us, that we might be more like you, that we don't just have orthodoxy, but we also have orthopraxy, that those things that we claim to know would be walked out in our lives, that the grace and truth that we see in Jesus Christ who came into the world and could with a word condemn us all, the grace and truth that we see through him would be modeled in us as well. We thank you for that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.